0: On Sunday night, I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes preaching pretty soon on these texts. We're just going to focus in on one certain aspect. I want to read you the text that we're going to be looking at tonight so you get an idea of where we're headed. Each one of these, although in the English you won't be able to detect it by looking at your text, but I'll let you know that each one of these words is a form of the word soul. Soul psychology is the English word I said before, and the difference is, and I'll show you when we get there, is some of them have prefixes on them in their original languages that makes them a little bit different, and I'll explain that to you, but let me show you all five of them. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I hear of your I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Here's our term, with one mind. And it's a word that means soul. And it's the word one, one soul. In other words, he wants them to act as a congregation as if they were one person. And striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. All right, that's the first one, the use of soul. Second one is... Chapter 2, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. That's our word soul. Um, Together sold, that's what it means. Literally, it has a prefix in front of it. It means together. And so your soul is together. Again, the same kind of thought, one soul, one person. This is how a congregation thinks together. All right, that's chapter two, verse two. The other ones are in the other half of this text. The first two are about how your corporate soul works. The last three are about your individual soul and what that looks like as an individual in a corporate setting, how you personally practice having the right inner person. Those three uses are first in chapter two in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon That I might be cheered. And that's the word cheered means happy soul. It's got a prefix on it that means blessed or happy. So Paul says, I want you to make my soul happy. So again, whoever said that before, emotions are part of it. The fourth use is verse 20, the very next verse. I have no one like him. And the word like him is literally a compound word, same soul. So Paul says, You know why I want to send Timothy? Because he's got the same soul I've got. And so when you get, when he comes and treats you and and helps you and preaches to you, it'd be just like me doing it. And he says, I have no one like him. In other words, it's rare to find a same-souled person in ministry, and Timothy was one of them. And the last one is an example. The first one is Timothy. The second is Epaphroditus, and the chapter closes out in verse 30 with these words. For he nearly died for the work of Christ." Risking his life, and there's our word, life. Risking his soul, risking everything down to the core of his being of who he was to complete what was lacking in your service, meaning financially to me. Advertisement, and by way of introduction tonight, there's a Scottish uh, Puritan. Um, He was a professor of philosophy at the age of 19. That's how smart he was. He was later the professor of divinity at the age of 23 in King's College in England. Um, Five years later, he died of tuberculosis at the age of 28. He wrote a book, and I'm going to recommend it to you, and I'm going to give you a little bit of bigger commercial than that. If you're looking to, if you'd like to read books from the past, I was taught growing up that you read two books in the present, and every third book should be something from the past, so you don't forget it. And I like that, and I've done that a lot in my life. I particularly enjoy the Puritans. Um, you have to want to like them, and I have over the years, because they have real inner person. They really have the real thing going on inside. Um, Henry Skugel wrote a book that he never intended to be a book. In fact, it wasn't even a book until he died, um, because it was never meant to be a book, He wrote it when he was 27, the year before he died. One of his best friends asked him, write me a letter and tell me what genuine Christianity is all about and what it looks like. And so he wrote the book, and the title is The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And you can get it. It's about this big, maybe 120-some pages, this big. So it's not many pages, truthfully. You can get it, and I would encourage you to get it if you're looking to read books from the past that you go, oh, I don't want to take forever, and is it hard for me to read them? Um, There's a series by Crossway Publishers called The Short Classic Series. They take some of the most well-known, famous books of the past, and they put them in modern English as if you had someone today wrote them and took all the difficult things to take out of them to read and have made them into little classics. They're little teeny books, the same size, about $8 a piece. One of them is the book by Henry Scougal, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. The book was so powerful that the number one preacher in probably American history, George Whitfield, 70 years after Scougal died, said, I didn't know what real Christianity was until I read this little treatise or this little book. He said, It's what changed his life, George Whitfield, the great revival preacher. It is a powerful book, and he wrote it to his friend. And in it, he has this quote. And I've memorized it and tried to live by it. And I want to share it with you tonight because I think it hits the target of what we're looking at in these Philippians passages. You're not going to see the impact of it by hearing me or reading it a couple times tonight. I encourage you to write it down. It's on page 62 if you have the copy of the book that I have. And here's what he says. The worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its love. Let me say it again. The worth and excellency of a soul is measured by the object of its love. In his book, Google goes on to say that true religion is the union of the soul with God. The very image of God is drawn on the soul. Um, So he said, here's what genuine Christianity is, is that God comes in you, deep inside of you, and draws himself on your soul. That's amazing. So ask yourself tonight, is that true for me? Has God drawn his life on my soul? Does his image And who he is and what he is like, does it radiate from me? So you read this, and I read it, and here's what I ask. How worthy and excellent is your soul? According to Schugel. You know how you can measure it? The only way you can properly, according to him, answer that is to ask yourself the question, what is really the object of your love? Christian Smith wrote, he's a philosopher, he says, you are what you love. Scougal would agree. He says, "This is how you measure the excellency, the worth of your soul." So I want you to see Paul's letter to his friends. Just like Scougal wrote his friend about genuine Christianity, so Paul writes his friends in Philippi, a Roman colony, and he's going to write to them about what genuine keyword gospel Christianity looks like. Okay, he's going to tell us what it looks like now. Gospel. Underline it because this will help you if you hear everybody else the remainder of the Sunday night series. Gospel is the key word throughout this text. It's in our chapter or one verse five, seven, twelve, sixteen, and twenty seven. Our first sole term or use is in that last use in chapter one. It's also in chapter two twenty two 4, 3, and 15 for a total of eight times in all the context from beginning to end of Philippians is all about how to live out the gospel. Once it gets inside of you, how do you get it outside of you? And how do you do it in a world that is Roman? And he's going to help us answer that tonight. So here's our, our, you know, what are you like on the inside? How has God drawn his life on your soul and if that's true on the inside, how is it getting outside of you? How are you living out what's on your deep imprinted soul? How are you living that out in an American world? So I put, to be totally sold out, you must firstly, first of all be sold in. And sold means S-O-U-L-E-D, all right? So we're going to take a look at these together um, Let's go back to the first one, chapter 1 and verse 27. This is a really good text for us, and I'm not going to take too much time because someone else is preaching it. Uh, I think Pastor Ray this weekend, so I don't want to step on that too much. But he says, only let your manner of life, if you take notes in your Bible, write down this word, circle those three words and put this above it, citizenship. It's the word politima, it means Politics. And it's the same word, if you want to cross-reference it, write this in there next to it too. 3.20, Philippians 2, for your citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Everybody in Philippi knew the power of being a Roman citizen. Everybody, and I would tell you this, probably more than anybody else in the Christian world, Paul knew the power of it. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In Acts chapter 16, if you read the entire original story of Paul going to Philippi, what you'll find out there is that he is taken by the magistrates, he is flogged, and then he's put in the box, and that was awful because the way they put your feet in them and the stocks and um, your arms in there Mean that you were already beat up with rods and everything else. It was a horrible punishment. And then they put you in a position that made you completely uncomfortable with all of the wounds you had. That's where they were, and that's how they were. They were in the stocks after being beaten in a Philippi jail, and the jailer was watching them because if anything happened to them, he would forfeit his life. So... Here's the thing about it, though. After they've been beaten, God has an earthquake come, opens the doors. They stay in there, and then they minister the gospel to the jailer who says, what must I do to be saved? The famous line, he gets saved, his whole family, and they're all baptized. The very next day, he tells everybody, by the way... I'm a Roman citizen. Now you think, why does that matter? Because if you flog and imprison a Roman citizen without a fair trial, you could be have your head cut off. So imagine the magistrates who didn't know he's a Roman citizen and now have broken the law. All Paul has to do is go back to Rome and report them. They will send soldiers and have them killed. Obviously, that was incredibly frightening. So they come in and he says, the magistrates say, open the doors and let them go. And Paul goes, oh, no, no, no. You did this to me. I want the magistrates to come down, open the doors themselves and ask me to leave. So he does. Now watch, a few chapters later in Acts chapter 22, a, a mob is seizing Paul and they are gonna beat him. And he says, oh, no, you're not gonna beat me. I'm a Roman citizen, and you say, well, what's the big deal? One time in Philippi, he doesn't tell you about his citizenship till after he's flogged and imprisoned. He could have, but he did not. The second time, he halts the beating and the imprisonment and doesn't take it and tells him ahead of time that he's a Roman citizen. And the question is, why? Why would one time he did not use his citizenship to keep himself from harm, and the other time he did Why? Because he writes later to these Philippians, and he's been able to tell them, by the way, this is how you use your citizenship. And here's what he's going to tell them because being a Roman isn't first. You know what's first? The gospel. You know why he would say to them, You know why I let them beat me and put me in prison when I didn't have to? Because I wanted you to see what it's like to be like Jesus. I want you to see what it's like to choose to follow in the fellowship of his sufferings. Doesn't he tell them that in chapter 3 and verse 10? That I might know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable, not to his life, conformable to his death. Here's what Paul says. You know how I use my American citizenship? For the gospel, not myself. See, we are not Americans first. We are Christians first. You know how important that is? You cannot understand the rest of Philippians until you get that down. You don't even understand, and we can never understand, all the things he asks us to do as a church and as individuals with these soul passages if you don't understand that the first thing on your mind is the gospel, that it is our focus. It takes precedent, is the most important thing that we do in this church. And unless we have together as unified a singular purpose and focus that overcomes and overshadows everything else, then we will get bogged down as they did in chapter four with Yodia and Syntyche about differences and agreements and a person thinks and this and that and the other. And we will get bogged down and Satan will have a victory here. You know why? Because every time we're not unified, it hurts the gospel. And so the first thing he wants to tell you about your soul is that we all have to be in agreement together and have act as one person at Faith Baptist Church. And so he says to us, with that in mind, only let your citizenship, what citizenship? Your Roman citizen, but most importantly, your heavenly citizenship, because your heavenly citizenship determines how you'll use your earthly one. Let your citizenship be worthy. See what Schugel said: the worth and excellency of a soul. You want to have a worthy soul? Here's what Paul says. Here's what it looks like. Let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's how you know when your object of love—Schugel's quote: the object of your love is God and the gospel. Oh, then that's the excellency that you can be measured by. He says. I may hear that you are standing firm, he says, and striving side by side. Standing firm is stability. Striving is the word agony. They are in opposition. Listen, I'm gonna warn us. I I say it periodically, and I will continue to do so, that we are headed for trouble as a church in America. It really is only a matter of time. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime. It may be, but we will agonize to stand for Jesus. It won't be easy. It'll take us all standing together, agonizing and striving. Listen, see the words side by side. It's hand. It reminds me of the marches in the 60s with Martin Luther King and the hand. That's the kind of stuff he's talking about, that we have a singular focus, the gospel, living it out and giving it to others. He says, you know where that starts? In your soul. So we're talking about the soul of Faith Baptist Church, the inner working of what this church really finds at its center. You know what it is? The gospel. The gospel is at the center of everything that we do. So we have a dual citizenship. And I'm afraid today, honestly, to be flat on honest, we care too much about America and the president and who's in the Republicans or Democrats and who's better. Can I tell you that all that stuff is nothing compared to what we're really all about. We are all about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. That's our focus, not who's in the White House, but who's in God's house. That's what really matters. And Paul would say, let that be your focus. Let that govern everything else that you do in your life. That which makes you, the object of your love, worthy. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to note three things. There are three words that are translated life. One of them is ours, which is suke, life, inner person. Remember Jesus says, if you save your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life, those passages in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and, and Luke as well, those life terms, those are suke. That means your inner person, that core of who you are. But that's not the only way life is translated. There's a word called zoe, and the girl's name, you ever see a girl's name, Z-O-E? That's a Greek rendition of the word that means life. It is the word that is most translated life, and it's the antithesis of death. And it often is translated almost every single time you hear eternal life. That's this word, zoe. It means life. It's the word we get zoology from. And here's what it means, that you have physical life, eternal life. And so most of the time you're talking about some sort of physical life, you're going to use that word. The other word is the word bios, which we get biology from, which also is translated life, and it's this kind of a life. And the woman, maybe she put in her two pennies. Remember that? The widow in Luke 21, 1 through 4? It says, and she gave in all her living, her livelihood, how she makes life, how she gets through life, supports money. That's this word. She gave in all. Remember the lady had the issue of blood for 12 years, and she'd gone to the doctors, and it spent, she spent all that she had, She spent her bios, her living, she was bankrupt. So that's another way of saying life. But the one we're talking about tonight is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And this is five times are in the Philippians book. And that is the inner person. And so this is what Paul wants us to ask tonight. You can be or look worthy on the outside, but Skoogel and Paul are talking about worthy on the inside. And he wants to ask us as a church, and then he wants us to ask us as individuals, is, do you have a worthy soul? Is it excellent? Because the object of your love is God and the gospel, and that is what everything in your life revolves around. I've told my wife many times with Valentine's coming up, and I've signed many times, I love you Second. And I want her to know that I love her, but she doesn't hold the candle to how much I love God. He is the supreme love of my heart, and I love my wife, and I love my wife out of my love for God. And I love my children out of my love for God. I personally believe, and we could argue about it later, that I believe that you, as my church family, are equal to my biological family. Jesus said in Mark 3, as he looked around and people said, Your mom and your, your brothers and sisters are out here. And he looked around at those at his feet and he said, Oh, these are my mother, my sister, and my brother. Did you know in eternity that the main way that you'll be known is not whether my wife is my wife now or I'm her husband, but we'll be brothers and sisters in Christ? Those other kind of relationships will be dissolved. I believe that tonight, you, to me, are just as close to me, and I would do just anything for you as I would my own family, because the strongest relationship that we could ever have is not our physical blood, but the blood of Jesus, and that's what ties us together. Now, you can disagree or not, but I think that the most important thing is God and then his family, which includes all of us. And here's what Paul says. That's how I want you to think about the gospel. That's how I want you to think about your soul. I want you to be the kind of people as a congregation that thinks about God and his people and then yourself. Look at chapter 2 and verse 2 for the second congregational use. He says, complete my joy. No, no. let me start back in verse 1. There are four if statements. Circle the word if because it's in there four times. Here's a little technical stuff, but you got to know it. All those if statements are called first-class conditional sentences in the Greek, and what it just means is it's not if. Like you and I say if, we go, oh, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if they're going to come. There's uncertainty there. There's no uncertainty in these if statements. These are all, and probably should be translated because or since. So they're actually positive ones. And so let me read it to you. Since there is encouragement in Christ since there is comfort from love, since there's participation in the spirit and affection and sympathy, since there are all of those things. He says, here's what we share together. We are a Christian family. We are a congregation. And we have all the same spiritual experiences. Listen, there's no difference. I don't have a better spiritual experience. God hasn't given me more of him than he's given you. He says, we have these spiritual, and based on the common unity that we have from God and what he's done for us in Christ and all that he's given to us, here's how we should act. Complete his joy as the church planter to be of the same mind, same love, and he says, a together soul. So we think the same thing about what matters most. We love the same thing. Remember, He says the worth and excellency of soul is measured by the object of his love. We all love the same thing at Faith Baptist Church. You know what we love? We love God. We love the gospel. We love living it out in our lives. See, that is what moves us. That is what moves our wallet. That's what uses our calendar and our priorities and our time. That's what we work around things. See, it's not that I fit my God in and everything else revolves around my kid's sports schedule. or all. See, we are missing it see we 're missing it. The Gospel is our singular focus, and everything else takes a back seat. otherwise, you cannot understand these people and the risks they take. How can you understand Jesus coming to the world in chapter two verses five through eleven and emptying himself of, the, of his own sovereign use of his own glory and laying down his life and becoming a slave and dying on the cross you can 't How can you grasp Epaphroditus? Serving so much that he got himself sick that he almost died. And it says at the end of it, he risked his life. What do you, how do you think about that? I mean, sometimes God's people, we can't even come to church all the time. And these are guys risking their lives for it. See, we can't grasp it. We can't grasp it because we don't know lives on the inside in your soul that is so singularly focused about one thing. He says, but that's the way it ought to be because, watch, if you're not doing that as a congregation, if, you're, if the soul of your congregation is not the working like that on the inside, you know what it'll result in? Look at the next verses, 3 and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. You know what happens when you don't have a gospel focus? you become selfish. I like to tell my kids, your world shrinks until it's only this big and all you can see is the very things about your own life that are right in front of your face. We become myopic, We like the cameras. We can only see what's in our little lens of life. We cannot see the big picture because we've lost focus because here's what happens. If you don't make God and the gospel and others the focus, you will make you the focus. There are no two ways about it. And that's why verses 3 and 4 follow verses 1 and 2. That's how they connect. Because you're going to make choices. As a church, We may, is it going to be about me or is it going to be about we? We have to make those choices in our lives. He says that's the soul of a church congregation. Those two verses help us to understand that. Then he says, well, then, okay, Pastor Walker, that's the kind of church we ought to be. That's how the inner person of our church, that's how people should be together. How does that look for me as an individual living it out? Let's look at those last three. Verse nineteen, I hoped, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I might be cheered by your news of you. Here's what you look like when you are a gospel person. Paul says, "You know what I find my happiness, o suke, my blessed soul. You know what makes my soul happy? Your happiness. Did you see that? You know, l- l- watch." He is writing from a prison cell. Do you understand? When you think, you know what makes my soul happy is when I get out of here, when they stop beating me, when they, that's not he said. You know what makes him happy is when the people that he loves and minister to does what they're supposed to do for God. See, that's it. What would make you happy? Well, you know, if my boss would, and I would get this, and my kids, if they, you know, that's not the source. You know what makes you happy? Because, listen, your happiness comes from what you love. And if you love all those other things primarily above everything that God see, then your happiness will pinge, and tend, it, will be, it will be dependent on those things. But if your happiness is wrapped up in the gospel, you know what will make you most happy? When people live it out. When they're sharing it and spreading it. That is what will really... Have you ever led someone to Christ? I'm telling you, I wish I've done it a number of times in my life. I wish it was more. I'm praying all the time it would be. It is the greatest feeling ever, and I don't do it for my own feelings. But I can tell you this: there's a happiness by serving God and others in the gospel that you cannot get anywhere else, and it changes. It changes. See, I don't. I can live in this house, have this car, not have this house, not have this car. It doesn't matter. The gospel is what matters. And when you begin to have that to be the sun in the solar system of your soul, when everything around it, see, we want to put our marriage at the center of our solar system. We want to put our job or the money, our retirement, or all these things, our pursuits here. See, those things do not have the gravitational pull to keep all of our things in life in proper orbit. You can't. It, there's only one thing that was ever made to be at the center of the solar system of your soul, and that's God. And the gospel, only he has the weight and the power to keep your life and all the things in it in its proper place and order. And the moment that we get out of that, we lose our focus. And Paul says, you know what makes me happy in my soul? When I hear churches like you are doing right in their souls. And then Timothy and Epaphroditus show us how that works. Verse 20, for I have no one like him. Iso sukan, Iso. Remember isosceles triangle? What's an isosceles triangle? I'm terrible at math, but I know what this is. What is it? All three sides are equal, the same. Iso. Here's what he says Icosukhan. Timothy has the same soul as me. And here's what he says, and that's rare, because there's no one like him. See, I chose to send him to the Philippi- Philippians. You know why? Because when he gets there, he will represent me perfectly. Why? Because Paul and Timothy were the same inside. That's what discipleship is. You know why you ought to be in a small group? You know why you ought to be in a D group? Isosukon gospel psychology. We are trying to train people at Faith Baptist Church to have the same soul as Jesus, to have the same soul as Paul and people like that. He spent and invested his life, and you can read who Paul's disciples were by name, Epaphroditus, Timothy, Titus, and a number of other ones, that he invested his life so that they could have the same soul as he did you ought to join one this year. Make it your goal in 2023 to be in a small group or a D-group if you're not, or both, because what we look for at Faith Baptist Church and what will keep our church going for generations to have the same congregational soul as individual souls who have the same thing going on inside. What does it look like when you have it? Keep reading. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare? Genuinely concerned is a Greek word that same used in Second Corinthians eleven twenty eight, and Paul goes through this long list of war stories. I was beaten, I was in shipwrecked, I was stoned, I was left for dead, and all flogged. He was beaten so many times, he was had at least two hundred and fifty stripes on his back, which he, he, literally you don't understand. If Paul took his shirt off, it would make you toss your cookies. I mean, he was mangled, really everywhere. Um, No wonder it says he had to write it with his hand at the end of Galatians because he probably couldn't see well. He had been so beat up so many times. I'm surprised he could get around to walk to all the places that he did. Ship all the things that he went through. And then he says at the end, and upon me every day, the daily pressure of the concern for all the churches. And the word is anxiety. And it doesn't mean sinful anxiety. It means deep, deep concern. Anxiety is only sinful and the context where it's controlling you. But you can have deep concerns. Can I tell you this? That is what same-souledness look like. A, deep, a people who have a deep concern about what goes on with the gospel at Faith Baptist Church. They know the people. So we could add tonight John Mercurio and his health. Um, Joe Melito, who had a procedure this week, and Dave spent time with him, he's at home getting better. But you wouldn't say, oh, see, here's my dream, that people here, at Fade About T- it wouldn't be the first time you hear these people's names and their needs at this pulpit, but you'd be knowing those things. I was talking to a couple of our ladies who went to funerals. See, same soul people. You know, it would concern you to be at someone's wedding if they had it here. Or if you could get off work and be there, that you would be at their funeral. Why? Because we have the same soul. It concerns us. A deep concern for the needs of people, physically, spiritually. It concerns you. I mean, Dennis was talking to me, a friend of his he knows from the trophy business, dropped dead at work. At their desk, 40-some years old, and then there's someone else he knows there. i got to talk to them about Jesus. Why? You know, deep concern. People around us need the gospel. It concerns us. It's not something that just comes into our mind occasionally. See, that's what Timothy was. That's what Paul was. They shared the same soul, and that's what it looks like. And lastly, Epaphroditus, verse 30. For he nearly died. He nearly died. More on that when I preach this text later For the work of Christ, risking his soul. Risking everything. That's what we'd say today. (laughs) Ask yourself, do you have a soul like that? Answer in your heart, what have I risked this last year for the gospel? What have I risked? (laughs) I used to think of all the times I went down naively, when I first started going to Trenton, <laughs> and I went with John Coleman, all the things that we used to do that I didn't realize were as a little bit dangerous that I didn't realize, alleyways and places I walked and places we went and homeless people we hung out with. And I remember John at the shower trailer breaking up fights by women who were pulling each other's hair out. I remember him running down there and they're fighting and he just shoves them apart. I'm going, I'm watching that. And, and later on I go, what? wow, they could have pulled something and did something to him. I don't even know if he even thought about it when he did it. And all the shower trailer talking to people who are criminals and drugs. I mean, I don't even think about the time. But you know what? Risking your life. Risking. How about risking your time? Risking your money? Risking your, say, Lord Jesus, I want to have that kind of soul. I want to have the soul that says, God, I want to put myself out there. I don't have to be foolish and just put myself out. Look, Pastor Walker. No, it's not that. It comes from your soul. It comes from the inside. Epaphroditus had a soul that said, hey, I know I could get sick. I'm willing to take a chance. I know it's going to cost me. I'm willing to take a chance. Paul is not being, his needs aren't being met. Philippians can't do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. What about you and me? What about our church? What about our souls? Look deep inside tonight and ask yourself, is that the kind of soul that I have? Our church is made up of individuals, isn't it? What if we had a church where everyone sought, by God's grace to have a soul like that? What an impact we could have for the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us. Oh, Lord, it's good for us to take inventory, to take deep looks into our lives. Henry Scougal helps us to measure the excellency and worth of our souls by the objects of our love. What do we really love the most? What gets us out of bed? What keeps us out of bed at night and on our knees? What moves us to give our money and our time? What brings us to tears? What gives us joy? Oh, Lord, may it be you. May it be the things of God. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Help us to live it for your glory, that every breath of our lungs and every beat of our heart might be for you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.